The opinions voiced in this program are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which investments may be appropriate for you, consult with your attorney, accountant, and financial advisor or tax advisor prior to investing. Investment advice offered through Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management, a registered investment advisor. Welcome to the Financial Focus Radio Show with your hosts, Tyler Simonis and Josh Finelli. Join us as we discuss markets, bring transparency to issues within the financial services industry, and bring honest, thoughtful analysis every week. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to Financial Focus Radio. Um, I'm Josh Finelli, and uh, thanks for joining us this weekend. Uh, it's been a very eventful week in markets, to say the least. Uh, the pain trade is back on. Uh, hasn't felt this um, bloody out there since back in March in the midst of the banking crisis. Uh, S&P 500 finished the week down 3%. We're now officially in correction territory. It seems like a very, very long time ago that we uh, were back in July when markets went up st uh, for 13 straight days and everything was rainbows and butterflies again, as Tyler likes to say. But uh, as I mentioned, we're now officially in correction territory on both the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ. Uh, down just over 3% for the week on the NASDAQ as well. Uh, international stocks, international developed markets were the outperformers, uh, still down 1.3% for the week. Uh, emerging market equities down four-fifths of a percent. Uh, small caps held in there a little bit during the midst of the sell-off on Thursday and Friday, but uh, finished the week down about 2.9%. Uh, oil uh, sold off about 3 bucks this week. Uh, gold traded pretty positively to the upside, uh, up $25 on the week to $2,016 an ounce. Uh, bonds, we saw some crazy volatility in the 10-year. Started the week, uh, yields on Monday morning bro broached that 5% level. Some crazy volatility intraday, some uh, 20, 25 basis point, so a quarter of a percentage point swings in a matter of hours, which is pretty unprecedented in the Treasury market. Haven't seen anything like that uh, to that degree since March of 2020, the midst of uh, the coronavirus pandemic, but 10-year uh, yields finished up the week at about 4.85%. Uh, interest rates are definitely what the market is focused on. Uh, volatility in rates is sort of the biggest issue for equities right now. And it's not even, you know, until we find some version of equilibrium in, market, in, in the rates market, I don't think you're going to see a much positive reaction from stocks because it's really the rate, that delta, the rate of change is what's really concerning. And uh, there's there's a negative way to look at it and, and a positive way to look at it. Uh, Janet Yellen, former, you know, former uh, Federal Reserve Board chair, chairwoman and uh, now U.S. Treasury Secretary this week uh, came out and said, she thinks that higher long dated long dated interest rates are just a reflection of uh, resiliency in the U.S. economy, and that's certainly the optimistic take. Uh, of course, when you think about uh, a yield curve, you should get rewarded uh, for taking time risk. The longer you're willing to loan money to someone, the more interest uh, they should pay you for uh, that time risk. And so, when you think about the big term du jour in markets over the last few weeks has been, of course, that term premium. And you've seen the curve kind of flatten, which means people that have loaned money to the U.S. government over the long run want a, a bit higher compensation for that. And the optimistic take there, of course, is that, you know, long run growth rate expectations are repricing. And if growth is going to be higher and, and subsequently inflation, you're going to want higher interest rates to take that time risk. That's the optimistic take, of course. Uh, there's the supply issue. You know, we're going to issue somewhere north of a trillion in net issuance in the Q4. Uh, there's absolutely no fiscal discipline. Uh, the dis, you know, the discord in Washington is definitely feeding into that. We finally got a uh, speaker of the House this week. Uh, remember, the government shutdown story is going to be in the news here in another another week or so. But. Uh, what whatever administration emerges in 2024, I don't think that anyone can be intellectually honest and argue that there's going to be fiscal discipline uh, restored to Washington. The current administration gets in there running, you know, close to a two trillion annualized budget deficit. Uh, doesn't seem to be any sort of fiscal discipline emanating from there. 
discipline might come in the form of uh, wishing for higher tax rates, which bodes pretty negatively for the consumers and therefore stocks. But uh, even you know the challenger, prior prior president uh, Donald Trump, if you know heading the polls in many of those swing states. The Trump administration, we see some version of that again. Uh, definitely no fiscal discipline emerging, emerging there. That not a lot of fiscal conservatives uh, left in Washington. Everyone's been able to have their cake and eat it too, uh, as a result of low interest rates. And you know, we, as we've talked about in weeks past, is this some version of the bond vigilantes coming back and saying, you know, we demand higher compensation? to loan to this increasingly disheveled fiscal house in the form of the U.S. government. Uh, that's certainly one, one scenario out there. But uh, I tend to sort of lean maybe towards that the Janet Yellen optimistic take, which is, you know, I think that demographics are putting us in a place where uh, we're maybe – primed for secular secular expansion, which means that, uh, you know, you need, of course, to reprice the long end of the curve. Uh, rates markets are notoriously bad at predicting, so, of course, we're going to find out. But there continues to be, uh, you know, glaring weakness in certain parts of the U.S. economy. And uh, I'll go through some of the, the data we got this week. But, of course, the big number, which is looking in the rearview mirror, was uh, the GDP figures uh, for for uh, the third quarter we're out. The U.S. economy grew at really a blockbuster pace. There's just no other way to frame it. It was 4.9% real growth. Uh, it, sort of extraordinary. Didn't, did anyone expect 5% uh, real growth three or four months ago or even in the midst, middle, of last, middle of this year? Uh, I don't think so. And two, theme, two themes really stand out there. The U.S. consumer uh, just powering on and fiscal policy, you know, that fiscal spend, booming government spending, much of which comes online in 2024, remember, uh, in the Informal Inflation Reduction Act. Uh, real consumer spending rose 4% year over year. Um, underlying trend growth is probably closer to 3%. Uh, that third quarter GP ring is just so strong that uh, even if growth were zero in the fourth quarter, uh, real GDP in, for the United States in 2023 would actually be at about 2.3%. So uh, the recession that's just been around the corner for the last year and a half has still yet to materialize. And, uh, you know, the big dynamic framing markets right now is that good news is bad news. And so far that it means higher terminal interest rates and it gives the Fed less of a reason to pause. And uh, that's why I don't think there's much winning here, at least in the near or medium term, because uh, it does not appear that interest rates at the current level are sufficient to stop the juggernaut uh, that is the U.S. consumer. And I think it's probably wishful thinking that you are able to uh, quell inflation sufficiently absent a recession. But bad news, of course, is bad news. And that just means we're potentially inching toward a recession. And uh, the big news, of course, this week uh, was in earnings. And I think that what happened in uh, as a result of earnings sort of illustrates that good news is bad news trend and bad news is bad news in that uh, you had a really good beat rate. Um, companies that beat weren't really rewarded by the markets. Uh, you know, you look at maybe an Intel or an Amazon that beat really well on both bottom and the top line. They just got back to where the stock prices got back to where they were a couple weeks ago. Uh, so they really just reclaimed ground that had already been lost. Uh, and if you missed... Uh, you know, companies that reported that missed on earnings got absolutely punished and destroyed. Uh, Google's a good example. Uh, Whirlpool is down 20% in a couple days. Uh, but you have all these names that beating was not rewarded and missing was absolutely destroyed. And, uh, you know, the expectations are coming in. You know, earnings are beating expectations. And I don't think that should be a surprise. But it just means that terminal rates are probably higher which until you get some version of equilibrium there, uh, you are not going to start, you know, resurgence in stock prices. But uh, the earnings, you know, earnings overall, 78 percent have come in above expectations. Uh, third quarter earnings growth was 4.3 percent. Uh, revenue growth was just 1.4 percent. Uh, so, you know, it's. Another quarter of absolutely no definitive resolution, and I really feel like a quarter and two quarters from now, we're going to be in the exact same boat. Uh, so earnings are probably going to keep coming in relatively well. But uh, again, the U.S. consumer is an unstoppable juggernaut. You combine that with enormous amounts of uh, deficit spending, uh, it's 
that was a recipe for higher interest rates and more uncertainty. But uh, thanks for joining us on Financial Focus Radio. Uh, as always, if you want to be part of the show, please call us at 877-670-7117. Get your free one-hour retirement review. Meet with a Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management Investment Advisor today for free. It's our offer to you as a listener to the show. Give us a call today to schedule your portfolio review. 800-743-0988. Again, Happy fall. It's Mike from Highline Homes. And fall does mean it's time to fall in love all over again with your home. If you're not feeling the love for your home, consider building with Highline Homes. Highline was a great fit for us. I enjoyed how I got to be involved in the construction of our home while not having the responsibility or stress of doing it all myself. Our custom stick-built homes are built from the ground up on your dream property, under warranty with snug-as-a-bug features like Milgard windows and a rooftop system that protects against the elements like snow, rain, wind, and sun. And we think reviews that we get from many satisfied Highline Homes customers say it best. We had a very positive experience dealing with the Highline team. Highline Homes approved lenders have 100% financing offers, so your down payment doesn't have to be an obstacle like it might be with other options. If it's time to find out more about what Highline Homes can do for you and your family, go to HighlineHomes.com for floor plans, virtual tours, and more. That's HighlineHomes.com. Oregon CCB 181069. Highline Homes. On your lot on right. <laughs> the leaves are changing color and the woods are calling. It's hunting season. Elk are nature's majestic royalty. They've been hunted for thousands of years for food, fur, antlers, and more. Nothing wasted, everything treasured, even their teeth. Unbelievable. These teeth are one of the last sources of ivory available to us. Elk ivories have a ringed mocha color that resembles the rings of a tree. Whether you're a hunter or not, the beautiful soft shades of elk ivories create a sense of warmth and a bond with these incredible animals. Come see our elk ivory collection in silver or gold. Or use your ivories to make something of your own at Satterley Jewelry Repair and Design Center on 5th and Fur in Redmond. Paid for by Christian Care Ministry. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is so frustrating. But you're something that could really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65 Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for people with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor and get 24-7 telehealth from the comfort of your home. And here's the thing. If you join before October 30th, you'll get your second month free and save even more. I'll give you the number here in a second, but just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. The deadline against October 30th, so now is a great time to call 888-SHARE-89. That's 888-SHARE-89. 888-SHARE-89. Connect to the Financial Focus Radio Show on YouTube or iTunes. Listen to past shows, get our bi-weekly e-news, and keep up to date on the market. You can also sign up for our e-newsletter on our website, northwestquadrantwealth.com. Let's get back to the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for uh, joining us in the second segment of Financial Focus Radio. Hope everyone out there is having a great weekend. Uh, my usual co-host, uh, Tyler Simonis, will be joining us 
uh, for the back half of the show this week. But first, I wanted to revisit earnings. Uh, it was just such a consequential uh, week for third quarter earnings uh, with you know, about about half the S&P 500 reporting, but uh, Amazon, Google, Microsoft, all the heavyweights, uh, Meta, uh, reported this week. So uh, still waiting on Apple, but uh, I think it's important to maybe dive into, I wanted to look at Coke, which is a company that, you know, is one of those old line uh, consumer businesses that pretty widely held uh, by at least boomer uh, retail investors. But um, I think it, it's a the Coke earnings are a really good way of t- sort of telling the resiliency of the U.S. consumer. Um, in the third quarter, prices rose 5% uh, and volume was flat. Well, you're not impressed. Well, a year ago, the price increase was 15% uh, for Coca-Cola products, and a year before that, another 5%. So through all of this, Coca-Cola volumes are uh, essentially flat, and they're not really growing. But Coke is about 25% more expensive uh, than it was three years ago, and I think people would definitely appreciate that uh, every time they go to the store and you know that's largely true of a lot of those uh, consumer staple oriented products but uh, Americans drink just as much coke as they did three years ago but it's about as good a thumbnail portrait of the US economy uh, as you're likely to get uh, by the way coke stock is down 11% year to date uh, even though those margins you know everything's basically the same so uh, what that tells you about the underlying business or maybe the expectation for the future you know that's certainly subject to debate but uh, it's basically in line with Visa and some of the other payments companies that reported this week. Uh, Volumes are marginally, incrementally better. Uh, Prices are way higher, uh, and the consumer is still willing to pay them. And, you know, I think that speaks to uh, this reality that the people that matter from an an economic standpoint uh, those that you know have large discretionary purchasing power and uh, own most assets, i.e., the older generations, you're seeing an explosion in their consumer spending uh, relative uh, to you know working population age people, uh, and turns out that th- their spending is largely not in fact influenced by rates uh, because they own their assets and they are in fact net beneficiaries uh, of the environment that we're in because they have uh, p- large pools of savings. The other thing I wanted to note is just this reality of, you know, you talk about this dwindling uh, excess savings from the pandemic. A lot of those figures are being revised to show that they were totally bogus in the first place. Uh, There's still literally hundreds of billions in excess savings of the pandemic and net interest income that's flowing to the retail investors balance sheet. Uh, as a result of higher interest rates in uh, interest-bearing accounts, is something on order of 150 to 200 billion dollars a year uh, so far, year to date. So that's a huge tailwind for that uh, upper echelon consumer, which really is the only one that matters uh, as it relates to driving the economy forward. Remember, consumer spending uh, is three quarters. Uh, of the U.S. economy and services inflation, uh, as evidenced by the PCE, uh, Fed's preferred inflation indicator that came out this week, uh, still sticky, still above expectations. Uh, I'm color me not surprised. Uh, It's quite obvious that it's going to take higher rates than currently uh, exist to actually meaningfully impact U.S. consumers to an extent that you'll see uh, a a material decline in economic output. But just wanted to bring that up because uh, I thought Coke was a, a prime example of sort of that theme that's uh, playing out. Uh, but uh, the, the theme of this segment that I wanted to, wanted to talk about really is sort of leaning into uncertainty. Uh, and, you know, this is a week where we've seen several straight weeks of stock declines. You know, we're now in official corrections, uh, you know, down 10% in the NASDAQ. Small caps have just been absolutely brutalized in the last four or five months. Uh, nothing seems to be working. You know, when you even look at the bond market, uh, year-to-date, the aggregate bond index down about 2.5%. Long bonds down 13%. S&P still up 7%, so, you know, not well off the July highs, and it feels really painful compared to where we were. But stocks have basically done nothing uh, for close to three years now. And so you feel a lot poorer, of course, because of that insidious creep. Uh, of inflation. But my point in this is that, you know, we talk about this a lot on the show, but the job of every responsible commentator uh, is to just reiterate those same fundamental truths. And this is another week where I just continuously hear uh, 
uh, the talking heads on TV talking about the death of the 60-40 and uh, that dramatic underperformance, of course, that 40% uh, in bonds that you're supposed to own if you're in very short-duration treasuries and you have been for a while, uh, like we have, you're just fine. And But for most people that have these broadly diversified bond portfolios, both sides of their portfolio have really sucked. But you know, you're not going to succeed by trying to time this. And that was sort of the point of this segment. And leaning into that uncertainty and staying the course is how you're ultimately going to do well. Because unless the, your fundamental situation hasn't changed, how you invest that money should be guided by the purpose that you have for it. And you know, when you think about if you're going to take these so-called guarantees in the form of uh, the coupons offered by bonds, you know, if you're even if you're investing on the short end of the curve, what are interest rates going to be when you have to reinvest that money if this calamity that you think is around the corner actually plays out? And of course, they're going to be significantly lower than the yields uh, on offer now. And then you're going to want to get back into stocks at precisely the time that the easy money uh, in the form of the relief rally, uh, once you, know, you get past that initial shock reaction of recession, already happened. But all of that, people don't really play out the derivatives of what they're thinking about. It's always this first level thinking phenomenon. And you know, stay the course, lean into the uncertainty. The reason that stock returns are so good over the long run is precisely because of uncertainty. Uh, if they, if you, if there wasn't this continuous wall of worry that stock prices have to climb, uh, you would not be handsomely rewarded for staying the course. It's because it's so difficult to actually stay the course in light of the constant negative information flow uh, that. Uh, that's why you are, that's why we call it the equity risk premium. And, you know, you will get that equity risk premium over bond yields eventually. But, uh, as long as the rate of change in the bond market is what it is today, uh, you're not going to see stocks outperform simply because from the equity, from the stock investors perspective, you need some version of, of, uh, stability around fixed income to be able to, uh, to outperform over the long run. But the, the main point I want to make is that what's obvious now will ultimately be disproven. And in the rear view, the change in the outcome will be obvious. <laughs> and so many people really don't think about it that way. But, you know, as it happens, consensus, remember, absolutely never happens in stock markets. And uh, just like uh, basically two months ago to the day, two and a half months ago to the day, we spoke that we were at peak soft landing sentiment. Uh, we're now almost at the opposite. And the pendulum between greed and fear uh, in these last couple years has been swinging so much faster uh, than it has at any, at any time in my career in the business or really any time. Uh, the information age has sort of diffused information and sentiment much more quickly uh, than it has in prior market cycles. And we watch this sentiment play out. And uh, I'm sort of astonished to just see the degree to which sentiment has been flipped on its heads. And, you know, our, our proclamations have been that expect, expectations should be for range bound because there's just not a lot of upside or downside that you should really prepare yourself for. Just this marginal shift in sentiment. Uh, but I just wanted to remind everyone, stay the course uh, and ride it out. Sign up for our e-news today. Get the latest thoughts on the market every other week from Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management delivered right to your inbox. The short five to six minute video helps you keep up with the market. You can always watch past videos on YouTube or on NorthwestQuadrantWealth.com. Did you know that the average public university student borrows $32,880 for their bachelor's degree? 
Many borrowers list student debt as the main barrier to buying a home, starting a business, or even retiring from their jobs. Are student loans keeping you from other goals? Between different payment plans, types of cancellation, and tax implications, we know that student debt can be confusing. Don't let that confusion keep you from addressing your debt. Our website offers resources, including frequently asked questions, links to other sites, and tips for avoiding scams. The site is updated by the Student Loan Ombuds, who also receives and attempts to resolve complaints about servicers or other issues with student loans. Take control of your financial future by addressing your student debt today. Visit the Division of Financial Regulations Student Loan Help Site at dfr.oregon.gov or call the Student Loan Ombuds at 888-877-4894. This message brought to you by the Oregon Division of Financial Regulation, the Oregon Association of Broadcasters, and this station. Hey there, CO. This is Christy from the Cosmic Depot. After three decades of being a shopkeeper here in Bend, I do believe it is true what starseed David Bowie said, time may change me, but I can't trace time. I can trace the stories of the lives of my customers, the gifts they have given to their loves and the gifts they have given themselves. I can trace the support I have received from our community and the helping hands that have kept Cosmic Depot's doors open for such a great many years. The Cosmic Depot is open to the changes that time has made so that you may find a rewarding cosmic experience awaits anew still after all these years. Whatever you are on a mission for, incense, essential oils, beads, candles, herbs, a thoughtful little gift, a crystal for your pocket, or a sweet silver locket, Cosmic Depot may have it and certainly it will be fun looking around for it. The Cosmic Depot is open daily at 342 Northeast Clay in Bend. Consider the stone. When one gets a stone in their shoe, it creates a world of hurt. Ouch. But when natural stone is used to create a wall or a patio, well, that's a world of beauty. Let our experts at Basilite take your ideas and help you make magic. Basilite is your one-stop shop for natural stone, pavers, retaining walls, and hardscape materials. Basilite, exceptional products and service. Locally owned in Redmond since 1980 and at the right price. Remember, don't fight it, Basilite it. It's game day at Jim's house, and the spread is impressive. Mike's already done some damage with the hot wings, and now he's dropping back and going deep for another slice of pizza. I sure hope he brought the Pepto. Mike knows the Pepto-Bismol provides fast, five-symptom relief from unexpected stomach upsets. He's no rookie. <laughs> the way he's throwing back those nachos, he's the GOAT. Be ready for game day with Pepto-Bismol. When you have nausea, heartburn, indigestion, upset stomach, diarrhea. Use as directed. Keep out of reach of children. Paid for by Christian Care Ministry. If you are 65 or older, you know this. Watching your hard-earned dollars fly out the window on health care costs is so frustrating. But here's something that could really help, and it's worth taking a minute to look into. MediShare 65+. Plus. MediShare is a community of Christians who share each other's health care bills, and it really is a community, too. People encourage and pray for each other. And MediShare 65 Plus is a low-cost option for people with Medicare Parts A and B, and it fills in the gaps where Medicare stops. It's a great way to fight inflation, too. You can lock in one low monthly price for up to 10 years. Plus, it's easy. You can use any Medicare-approved doctor and get 24-7 telehealth from the comfort of your home. And here's the thing. If you join before October 30th, you'll get your second month free and save even more. I'll give you the number here in a second, but just tell them the promo code SHARE to get your additional savings. The deadline against October 30th, so now is a great time to call 888-SHARE-89. That's 888-SHARE-89. 888-SHARE-89. listening to Financial Focus Radio Show, where you get honest and actionable advice every week from the partners at Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management. Remember, you can always listen to past shows on iTunes or find us on northwestquadrantwealth.com. If you'd like to sign up for our e-newsletter, Josh and I do a video in the middle and end of every month where we talk about what's going on in the capital markets and how it affects our clients' money, but you don't have to be a client to get added to that list. So if you want to be added to our e-news list, we send that out via email. Go to our website, northwestquadrantwealth.com. Uh, so Redfin put this out last week. It's pretty a uh, little bit scary, actually. Um, so a U.S. home buyer now needs to earn a record $115,000 a year 
to afford the median price home for sale in the United States. That's an increase of 53% in the last three years. And, and when I say affordable, means a home buyer spends no more than 30% of their income on monthly mortgage payments. Um, it is crazy how unaffordable the housing market has become because, you know, I was looking on Friday at um, median house prices in Central Oregon, and then, believe it or not, year over year, they're up. They're up slightly. Sisters was the only market in Central Oregon that was down a little bit. There, ben went from 725 to 750 but so, Ben, it's even worse. But, you know, when you think about interest rates at 8% on a 30-year mortgage and house prices still increasing nationally, um, it is unbelievable to think uh, how unaffordable housing is for most Americans. And there's a whole generation that could be like, we can't afford a house. Like, the, what's the generation behind you, underneath yours? Gen Z. Gen Z. So there's some of Josh's generation in Gen Z that um, are going to be excluded from buying a house because they're going to have to make so much just to buy, like, a fixer-upper. Uh, you know, Central Oregon is even more skewed, but nationally the problem is real. And so I guess the problem can be fixed one of two ways. Interest rates could come down, right? But hopefully if inter- the, the, the forces that cause interest rates to come down, you might lose your job. Uh, or house prices can come down, and I happen to think, I know it's not a popular belief, but I happen to, th- and I own a house, right? But I happen to think house prices will come is the more like coming down is the more likely outcome. The, the demographic, fi- I mean, there's we're still running like what a f- close to five million structural shortage uh, relative to average after the financial crisis, just because so many people left that industry and home building declined so precipitously. But uh, the demographic fix takes too long. It, with you know that transition and baby boomers downsize whatever else so it's just i think there's going to be like serious serious political angst over the over the next decade as a result of people unable to participate in the latter as opposed to the i mean it's smooth sailing in washington right now <laughs> no no i just mean pol- serious political angst from like people that can't, know, afford a house. can't afford a house and that's kind of how you feel attached to society is well don't worry that and... that realtor lobby in washington will take care of it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh all right we got a question somebody called us at 877-670-7117 yeah i've been listening to your show for quite a while and uh you talk about treasury bill rates uh pretty early in the show i was just curious uh are those rates secondary market rates or those right from Treasury Direct? We'll keep listening. Thanks a lot. Uh, so that's a good question. So what what, in, what he's talking about is in the beginning of the show, we go through different, like a six-month, one-year, a 10-year, and a 20-year um, Treasury, and we talk about what the rates are. So that's those are the rates on the bonds that in that duration that are trading that day where they're trading without any markups uh so i guess you know treasury direct is i don't know that it's 100 percent efficient but it's probably the closest thing so it's it's the rate that the you know that mark so a set let's say a seven-year treasury without a markup of a broker dealer or a custodian that they're charging um it, it's it's sort of the rate without any markups on it so um it also sometimes is you know the at issue uh yield uh, but most bonds because the treasury market is so big and so relatively efficient there's not a lot of arbitrage that can happen in there most treasuries of a uh, that have a certain duration the yields are going to be really really similar um in the primary market now in the in the secondary market you know you can look at six different custodians you could look at like ibk uh fidelity schwab lpl you know vanguard and the yield for the same duration bond is going to be dramatically different and it's sometimes it has to do with somebody's liquidity needs so an institution or an individual that has to liquidate um some of their treasury positions uh might be willing to take, uh, uh, you know, offer a better yield to the buyer or and take a lower price. And so the secondary market is where there's m- some more mispricing. It's not dramatic like you see in the corporate bond market. Um, but, you know, the, 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 the treasury market's pretty darn efficient. And it's usually, if you know, some basis points, 10 basis points or so uh, difference. Um, but when, you, you know, I guess in some cases, there can be more than 10 basis points depending on how how big a position or small position is or how much liquidity somebody needs. But treasury market's pretty darn, darn efficient. Um, uh, this question came actually uh, on our on YouTube. It was on our um, – when we did our last e-news, and I thought we should probably address it because it's a good one. Uh, this comes from Dave. Dave says, always enjoy your show. 
The market fears uncertainty. Correct, Dave. Uh, human beings, human beings, the market doesn't. Human beings fear uncertainty, whether it be in the market or anything else. Uh, he says there's a war, new war in the Middle East that could grow into something more regional. What would be your advice to investors if this situation becomes increasingly unstable? Uh, so, Dave, uh, I don't know how old you are, um, but, you know, if you're, let's say you're 50. So I'm 47. Um, tell me, you know, tell me when there hasn't been conflict in the Middle East in my lifetime. There, it's always been a thing, right? So, you know, let's, let's go look back at this. Since the founding of this country, we've had a civil war. We've had two giant world wars. I mean, we, we've had lots of wars, right, in, in, around the world. Um, I guess the big concern is that the next big war will be the war to end wars, but the next one will be the end of humanity as we know it. So who cares about your money and your market, right? Uh, and so, you know, this is not unique. There's nothing unique about what's happening right now. I'm sure if, if I lived in Gaza or in Israel, I would think definitely differently. Um, but what's happening right now as it relates to markets is not unique. I mean, we've been here before, we will be here again. And so, again, you, if you listen to our show, it's time in markets, which is how you make money, not trying to time the market. So you're sort of making the implication, Dave, that we should be thinking about doing something as it relates to, you know, wars in Ukraine or wars in Israel. Um, but what are you going to do? I mean, what, what would you do? You'd say, okay, I'm going to get out of the market because it's going to be, and, may, and maybe for a while you'll look smart because the market could get down another 20%. But then Dave, what do you have to do? You have to get back in the market. And then what are you going to wait for when things are better and the market's up a hundred percent and you get back in the market at a price higher than where you got out? Because that's how everybody does it. And so Dave, I'm not trying to, to be a jerk. I'm just saying that this is this, we hear this all the time from our clients and, and the investing public. It is the reason I know that markets aren't efficient because we get questions like this that infer, and, and Dave, just so you know, the, the financial media is encouraging you to do something, is encouraging you to think this way because that's how they talk on TV. Uh, it, if Jack Bogle, the guy who started Vanguard, was still alive, if you listen to him, he, he would never talk that way. If you listen to Warren Buffett, he would never talk that way. Dave, the only thing that I would tell you to do that might be different is that if we do get a sell-off, buy more. Put more money to work. Use that as an opportunity. Dave, when you go to the, to the department store with your, with your wife or your significant other, when things are on sale, you're at, you're, you, that's, you like that, right? When well, you go to the grocery store, things are on sale. Fact. You like that. When stocks are on sale, nobody buys them. That classic Rothschild you know, buy when there's blood in the streets is totally applicable here. And you know, the deriv second derivative conclusion is crazy, too, because it's yields went down because of maybe Middle Eastern strife, which gave a temporary respite to stocks. So it's, you know, even if you knew the news, you can't trade it. And it's all about being invested and letting compounding continue to work for you. Yeah, I mean, Dave, what it comes down to is if you think about, forget the market, what is, what is in the market, right? Companies like Nike, Amazon, Google, Costco. Do you think this Sunday there's going to be a shorter line at Costco because there's a war in the Middle East? Of course not. Do you think that because there's a war in the Middle East that three years from now that Costco and Nike are not going to be making more money? Of course not. And so earnings drive stock prices. Earnings drive the valuation of all business. Dave, if you own a, a small business, Northwest Quadrant, our business is worth more if we make more money. The same is true for every company in the market. And over time, even with wars and political unrest and all that, companies make more money. Their stock prices go up based on earnings. And so the rest, Dave, is absolutely noise. It sucks and it's awful. Uh, but as it relates to your investing life, just ignore it. Remember what is in the market and what drives stock prices. All right. Uh, if you'd like to sign up for our e-newsletter, go to our website, northwestquadrantwealth.com. A little box will pop up and you will you can get added to that list. When we come back, it's getting close. We're in the fourth quarter. We're going to talk about some year-end investment planning. So stick around. Get your free one-hour retirement review. Meet with a Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management Investment Advisor today for free. It's our offer to you as a listener to the show. Give us a call today to schedule your portfolio review. 800-743-0988. Again, 800-743-0988.
High Desert Chamber Music invites you to their 16th annual gala, Saturday, December 2nd at 6 p.m. at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship of Central Oregon. Join MC Bob Shaw for a festive evening, including dinner, silent auction, dessert dash, and a live performance by the Spotlight Chamber players. Proceeds from this event allow High Desert Chamber Music to offer their educational outreach programs at no cost to any students, teacher, or schools in Central Oregon. Tickets are available online at HighDesertChamberMusic.com. Get dressed in your best and don't miss this evening of music and dinner to kick off the holiday season. December 2nd at the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship. High Desert Chamber Music's 16th Annual Gala, sponsored by Mission Building, Riverside Animal Hospital, Three Graces and Company, Wells Fargo Advisors, the Swanton Family Foundation, and Combined Communications. High Desert Chamber Music. Come hear the music. Plateau Travel Plaza. Food, fuel, and fun. After a long day and you want to play, get your mind off of the road. Have a great meal, try our slot machines. Life's good on the plateau. Quick stop anytime, gets you everything under the sun. Life's good on the plateau. Food, fuel, and fun. Food, fuel, and fun? At the Plateau Travel Plaza in Madras, you get food, fuel, and fun all in one fabulous stop. After you fuel up with our low fuel prices, enjoy something fresh from our deli. Shop our store for local crafts and jewelry, travel essentials, electronics, and more. Then have some fun in our game room with 40 of the hottest slot machines and all the rewards you can handle. Life's good on the Plateau. Food, fuel, and fun. Fall has arrived in Central Oregon and there's no better time to head outdoors. Locally owned Finn and Fire has everything to get you dialed in on the water and in the woods. If you're a big game hunter, check out the huge assortment of Sitka gear and Mystery Ranch, including the popular Stone Glacier apparel and packs. Protect your feet while keeping them warm and comfortable. Finn and Fire has the best selection of crispy hunting boots in the region, including insulated models for those cold, crisp days ahead. If you need a new hunting or everyday carry knife, our Benchmade case is full and new models arrive every week. And fishing season is still going strong. The Lower Deschutes is open for steelhead. Set up a guided trip with us, find a new rod, or just ask for some good old-fashioned advice. Fin and Fire is Central Oregon's go-to fly fishing store. Fin and Fire, across from Safeway on Highway 97 in Redmond, or online at finandfire.com. Fin and Fire is a fly shop unlike any other. Thank you for joining Financial Focus Radio Show. Honest, transparent analysis brought to you every week by Tyler Simonis and Josh Finelli. Call the show anytime at 877-670-7117. We'll try to answer your question on the air in the following weeks. Now, back to the team from Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management. Welcome back. I am part of said team, Tyler Simonis, and that guy over there, he's Josh Finelli. The one and only ladies, Josh Finelli. We're partners at Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management. I guess men, too. Uh, Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management here in Bend. And if, uh, if you want to sign up for our e-newsletter, uh, you can go to our website. That's uh, northwestquadrantwealth.com. Just send us an email. Say, add me to your e-newsletter list, and we'll get you on that list. You just uh, you in the, on the 15th and 30th every month, we'll get a short five- or six-minute video. Uh, from us talk or Josh and I are talking about what's going on in the capital markets and most importantly for our clients, how it affects their portfolios. This comes from Bloomberg again in, in the year, August, 2000 fortune magazine published 10 stocks to last the next decade uh, by December of 2012. So 12 years later, a portfolio containing those 10 stocks had lost 75% of <laughs> its value. <laughs> and this is Fortune, right? There's some sharp cookies that work at Fortune. Again, another reason that if the so-called experts can't be picking winners, why do you think you are going to be so good at it either? So, it, it, you know, it, it's really, really hard. It doesn't seem like it should be hard, but it is really, really hard to pick stocks successfully. Most stocks have 
awful track records over time. Uh, and then, so this sort of reiterates that um, all economists agree that predicting a stock's price is tough, but only 59% of Americans agree with that statement. So, you know, most of you out there think that uh, picking winning stocks and, and knowing what the direction of the market is relatively easy to see. Uh, we know that that's not true. Josh and I know uh, doing what we do that, that, that it's not true. And, you know, we had uh, in the middle of June toward the ends of June when the market was down, uh, the S&P was down 20 and the NASDAQ was down almost 30% on a year-to-date basis. Worst start to the year in a long, long time. We had a lot of people saying to us that the market was going to go down another 20% by the end of summer. Here we are close to the end of summer and markets have rallied significantly. And our phones are dead. Yeah, and, and those people that the thought that the end of the world was imminent, guess what? They're gone. And, I, you know, it's so hard for us to not call them and say, well, what happened? Now that stocks are up, shouldn't we go to cash? Like, this is when we should go to cash, right? And, you know, it's like, why weren't you calling us last December when the market wasn't at an all-time high and saying, you know, I think markets are going to go down? No, you waited for markets to go down 20%. And then you called. And so don't be one of those people. You cannot time markets. It's time in the markets rather than trying to time the markets, which is how you'll be successful. But you should, none of you should be out there picking individual stocks. Uh, if you do it over time, the S&P is going to trounce you. And I know you can say, I'm going to buy Amazon. I'm going to buy Apple. I'm going to buy Google. Those are all unbelievably great businesses. They've created wealth like almost nothing ever has. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they're going to beat the S&P 500 over the rest of your investing lifetime. Statistically, the chances of that happening are close to zero. Okay, let's talk about taxable investment accounts. So, you know, this is one of those things that Josh and I take for granted, uh, knowing that these things exist. Uh, but when we talk to them, uh, when we talk about them with uh, prospective clients or clients and, and, and adding money to them or opening them and, and funding them, um, it's as if we're splitting the atom. So, Josh, first, just explain. I know it sounds basic, but explain uh, to everybody what a taxable investment account is. And then we can talk about why we think they're so great. Taxable investment account is just like it sounds. It's just essentially a bank account for stocks. And most people out there listening, you may already have one. And you probably call it or reference it as your brokerage account. And uh, that's just... A place that you know it's not you're not getting tax deferred growth like you would in an IRA and you're not being you're not able to uh, reduce your taxable income via uh, contributions it's just a place where you are parking money and you can own the exact same investments in a taxable account uh, that you buy in your retirement accounts yeah so I mean the advantage is so so the wealthiest people in the world uh, this is where most of their money is. So they either have it in the trust, but if you think about, you know, Jeff Bezos or or, or uh, Bill Gates or all these kids, they own most of their shares in the company in a taxable form. It's not in a tax deferred form because there are no contribution limits. You can put a hundred billion dollars in a taxable account, uh, which it, is its greatest advantage. Is the extreme flexibility that you're offered, and uh, it's. You know, that money is liquid in two days if you're buying something that settles on the New York Stock Exchange. So, so it's the other reason, you know, every, they, Bernie Sanders of the world talk about, Elizabeth Warren talk about why the wealthy pay the lowest, such low tax rates. You know, they say, well, you know, these guys are paying 15 or 20 percent taxes when their secretary is paying 25 percent. And it's because the, this is how most of these people get their – where they get their money. And the the tax the taxation of these accounts is at a much more which I think is rate a, than I, ordinary income. I think is a great segue to one of the other primary advantages of this type of account is it offers near tax free compounding if you plan carefully. So, you know, if you're like us and you're using exchange traded funds that don't pay capital gains each year, uh, you're essentially going to have very minimal tax liability associated with this account, provided you're not realizing actively realizing big gains. So, of course, I max out my retirement uh, contributions every year uh, dutifully, but, you know, I can save more. Thankfully, I'm thankful enough that I, I can save more above that. And so I save way more in this kind of account. It's a joint account for my wife and I than I do anywhere else. And like Josh said, you have 
full liquidity. I have access to this money at any time. In fact, I have a checkbook on my uh, taxable investment account. I, I don't have to wait till I'm 59 and a half. If a business opportunity comes up, I can use it for that. Uh, and again, remember, I'm paying capital gains rate taxes, which is a lower tax rate than my income tax rate. And I'm just paying it on the gain, not the total amount, like when you take money out of your IRA. So there's a ton of flexibility that go along in owning a taxable investment account. And then most importantly, and this is the big one, um, when, because we've been doing this so long, when you get to retirement, and let's say you have a, a client with a $2 million IRA and you have a client with a $2 million taxable account, the person with a $2 million taxable account is in much better shape because their tax liability to get at their money is so much less than the person taking money out of the IRA. So if you take money out of a traditional IRA, you're paying ordinary income tax on the whole amount. So if you take out 10000 bucks and you live in the state of Oregon, uh, most likely you're going to net about 7500 after taxes, seven or 7500 If you take the ten, same $10,000 out of a uh, taxable account, you can do some tax planning that your tax liability might be negligible at best. The reason we're such big proponents is because you're able to control where your marginal dollar, that next dollar comes from. And so when you have those big one-time expenses, uh, you don't need to be rating your IRA above your required minimum distribution to access that money. So it lowers your overall cost of capital, gives you that big amount of flexibility. And we see the psychological impact of a higher net after-tax distribution and then that it leads to people actually wanting to spend their own money. We see this unnatural aversion to spending from a qualified account uh, because of the tax liability associated with distributions. The financial services industry, financial advisors, CPAs, want everybody to put as much money and have all their money in tax-deferred accounts. Uh, we're, we're just not as bigger proponents of that because when you get to retirement, like Josh said, the accessibility of these taxable investment accounts is so much better and you can control the taxes. So as long as you invest in tax-efficient investments, which is what you should be doing uh, in these kind of accounts, uh, you should be aggressively saving in a taxable investment account. All right, if you want to be part of the program, you have a question or comment, give us a call, 877-670-7117. Or you can always send us an email by going to our website, northwestquadrantwealth.com. Stick around. We'll be right back. Sign up for our e-news today. Get the latest thoughts on the market every other week from Northwest Quadrant Wealth Management delivered right to your inbox. The short five to six minute video helps you keep up with the market. You can always watch past videos on northwestquadrantwealth.com. 